exciting overtime uh, finish that they had. Over 25 million people watched this game, or at least had, it, had their TV on so that it could be recorded. And here's the deal. By April, most of them won't be able to tell you who won. They won't. And the, even the, the most passionate fan won't remember what the score is in a few months. And so some of you are big NFL fans, but you probably can't right now name the last five Super Bowl winners. And I guarantee you, except for David Hawley, you can't tell what the score was in those, uh, in those games. And so that's, that's kind of how the thing is. But here's the deal. After 2,000 years, we're still talking about one particular victory. 2,000 years later. And we still remember the stats from that day and from that time when, when the Spirit of God dropped the Gospel into the sea of mankind. Those ripples are still being felt today. We're still riding that wave of excitement. We're in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 1 this morning. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, if you haven't read the Bible a lot, or perhaps it's been a long time since you've maybe been through this section, you may not be exactly sure what this Pentecost is here. There were several annual feasts that the Jews observed, and this being one of them. The, the biggest was Passover. But then you had uh, the, the, the Passover where they remembered their deliverance from Egypt. But then 50 days later was this celebration of Pentecost as they remembered and celebrated the law being given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so you can go back in, in Exodus chapter 19 and kind of freshen up on that story. But there, when this happened, it says that there was this storm and wind and thunder and fire came down from heaven which identified and, and represented the presence of God. A marvelous scene there. So let's think about this. You're a Jewish person. It's Pentecost and you're remembering that day. You're here for the festival of Pentecost. You're remembering that day when God descended to the mountain to deliver this law to Moses, And suddenly, here in Jerusalem, you hear wind and you see fire coming down. But this time, the presence of God is not resting on a place. This time, the presence of God is resting on people. And so in verse 6, when the sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And so, yes, this was a crowd of, of Jewish people, but they were from all over the Roman Empire. Some hundreds of miles away had come here because as a Jewish person, your heart's desire is to at least once in your lifetime travel from where you live, from where you have been dispersed to, back to Jerusalem and celebrate this wonderful feast of Passover within the city of Jerusalem, the, the, the holy, holy city here. And so you have a lot of Jews who did not grow up in, in Palestine here around Jerusalem. And a lot of these, were, who Hebrew is not their native language. It's their ancestral language, but they grew up speaking a, a more local language in their area. And so there are a lot of Americans, you think about this, who don't speak Arkansas. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been down to Louisiana... 
and you've heard Creole, you then folks, they can't be from America. Because you can't understand a word they say. And so we understand what it means to, to live in different parts of the same country, but yet have a certain different language that you, that you can speak and understand. And so you read in Acts chapter 2 and you realize there are at least 16 different languages that are represented or are being spoken of here and understood. And so it goes on. Completely baffled, the people said, hey, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language? Now, every culture has its own way of kind of um, maybe not so politically correctly speaking about someone who's not very bright. And so we might say, man, that fellow's a, he's a brick shy of a full load, right? And so we, we know what that means. Or we say maybe, you know, his elevator doesn't go all the way to the top or he doesn't have... I'm using a lot of guys because, ladies, I would never say this about you, but he doesn't have a sense. God gave a goose. You know, we, we understand what these phrases are here. Well, in this day and time, if you wanted to question someone's intelligence, you called them a Galilean. You did. That's what you called them because everybody knew that they were the least educated, the most ill-equipped and, 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 and least trained in all of Israel were those who grew up in Galilee. And so how can Galileans be suddenly speaking in some other language? Where'd they learn this? They don't go to school. They're not taught from the, the professors. How in the world is this happening? And someone say, well, the only explanation is they're drunk. Leave it to a Galilean. Be drunk first thing in the morning. That's what they were all saying and thinking. Well, I tell you, they were under the influence, but it wasn't alcohol. See, at this moment, it's not what's gotten into them, it's who has gotten into them that's making this difference. And the least expected group that you could ex expect to pick up and launch a global movement suddenly becomes the most empowered on the entire planet in this room. But notice, they don't talk about, as they're speaking here, they don't talk about the other languages they're able to, able to say. I'm going to tell you right now, I'd have a hard time if this was me and all of a sudden, I, not, not only did the wind and the, you know, the fire and all that stuff, but I, I can now speak a different language. I'm going to be like, hey, check this out. You know, I'm going to be saying stuff and calling attention to myself. But we don't see that here. Because their focus was not on the gift. It was on the giver. And so listen to this. Acts chapter 2 and verse 11. Very important here. They, they say, we hear them speaking in our own languages. What? About the great deeds... God has done. That's what they were saying. They were talking about God. They were telling what God is up to. Because declaring the wonderful works of God is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, God's deeds are on the tongue when His Spirit is in the heart. We cannot but speak of what He has done and what we have seen as the apostles would say. And so in Acts, every time the Spirit comes in power, someone starts talking God. And where there's a filling of the Spirit, there's an immediate telling of the Gospel. It cannot be contained. And that's why the Spirit came when and, how, and where He did and how He did. And so, remember Jesus said before He ascended, you go back to Jerusalem and you wait. You go back there and wait. He didn't say go off to a private retreat. He didn't say, y'all go check out your timeshare till I call you up. The Holy Spirit came right in the middle of the hustle and bustle of the busy, crowded city of Jerusalem and all that was going on at this time. Hundreds and perhaps hundreds of thousands 
of people flocking to this area because the Holy Spirit comes for all. The Holy Spirit comes for all. And if you are in Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Your salvation is sealed. Your lips are not. And so when you have a chance to talk about the wonderful works of God and you get afraid and you can't speak, that is not the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit moves, people are empowered to speak. They cannot help but speak. When we let God's Spirit work in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit comes so that the Gospel can go. And I'm sure some people were shocked. But everyone who fights fire, if you fought fire, you know this, that when fire gets together with strong wind, Steve, what happens? Bad things, doesn't it? Bad, but in this case, a great thing. Because it spreads. You cannot contain it. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you cannot control when or how or to whom He comes. He comes to us to use us to empower our talk and not just our walk. And so telling the crowd what they wanted to know, they were like, what's going on? And so Peter tells them. He says, not only am I going to tell you what's going on, I'm going to tell you what you need to know. We've got a lot to talk about here. And so he goes on and he says, men of Israel, You listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man clearly attested to you by God with powerful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed among you through Him, just as you yourselves know. How did they know that? Because they had seen Him do it. They had followed Him. They had chased Him around to catch Him doing something. They knew what Jesus had been doing. So Peter says, remember this, because it hadn't been that long ago, just a month or so. This man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing Him to a cross at the hands of the Gentiles. But God, two of the greatest words in all of Scripture, but God raised Him up, having released Him from the pains of death because it was not possible for Him to be held in its power. And so Peter says, listen Know this, death is defeated. Death is defeated. And remember, the Gospel is good news. It's good news announcing an event that actually happened. The Gospel is proclaiming something that actually happened. And what happened, Peter says, did not catch heaven by surprise. This was always God's plan A. We talk about plan A. We love plan A. We intend on plan A, a deliberate plan and foreknowledge. This is what we're going to do. But the truth is, we live our lives in plan B or plan C or plan U. We can't ever seem to accomplish plan A. So we see this and we hear this and we go, man, God had to adjust course out of Eden, didn't He? No, He never did. This was always God's plan A. Always His intention. And Peter says, you put Him to death, but God raised Him from the dead because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on Him. And so here's a mystery. God does not plan evil. God does not plan evil, but God does use evil in His plan. Uses the works of evil in His plan because nothing is going to derail God from His plan A in your life, in my life. 
in this world He has created. God never makes humanity choose evil, but God's plan is not interrupted by our evil choices. And so Peter shows this by quoting Psalm 16, where David says, "...because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor permit your Holy One to experience decay." So who was David talking about? The people wanted to know. Well, it wasn't himself because David's grave was viewable for them. They could go see David's grave. But Peter's talking here because Scripture's talking here because David was actually talking not about himself, but about the Messiah of God, the Deliverer of God, through whom God always intended to defeat death. And Peter is preaching this in the city where they killed Jesus. It's amazing. Christianity is not birthed a world away from all of these events. Christianity is birthed in the very city where Jesus the Christ was killed. And this is where it should have been the easiest to walk outside the gates. As Peter is preaching this, hold your thought, Peter, we'll be right back. To walk outside the city gates, go to the tomb, and look at the corpse of Jesus, drag it back into the middle of the city, and say, you're a liar! You're a phony! But they could not do that! Because the tomb was empty. It was empty. And everyone knew it. They could not discredit what God had accredited. Paul says the Gospel, this Gospel is about God's Son. Romans chapter, four, chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul writes to some others, this, this Jesus who was appointed the Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And there are faiths today claiming to be Christian. There are faiths today claiming to be Christian who teach the resurrection is impossible. That the resurrection could not happen. That's all that's really important is that we believe that God can make all things new. Well, folks, the resurrection of Jesus is mentioned 104 times in our New Testament. 104 times Scripture recalls the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christianity without the resurrection, is not just missing the last chapter. It's missing the entire story. The entire story of Christianity is the resurrection because if the tomb is not empty, then Christianity is. But that day, the Gospel was unleashed because everyone knew that the tomb was unoccupied and these ripples of truth grew into a tsunami, a tidal wave of belief across the region and across the world. And these men and these women went into the world and they could not be contained. They could not be contained. Threatened? Absolutely. Yes. Imprisoned? Certainly. We read of that. History tells us about that. Even tortured and martyred. Yes, they could. But they could not be stopped. And they would not be silenced because Jesus had defeated death. And so later Paul would write, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, Paul speaking of himself, a prisoner for his sake, but by God's your share of suffering for the gospel. He is the one who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not based on our works, but on his own purpose and grace. Grant before time began but now made visible through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, 
He has broken the power of death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. You know, sometimes we have to DVR our shows. I'm so thankful for DVR. And sometimes we have to DVR the sporting events. And so... You know, if we have to, we've got kids are doing stuff during the day, and so maybe the Razorbacks are playing early, and so, you know, we try to DVR and record that game, and we, you know, we try to stay off of social media and not answer texts because we don't want to know the score until we get a chance to watch and experience the game. But sometimes the score leaks out, and we know the outcome. If you're an Alabama fan, which no Christian in Arkansas should ever admit, by the way, there will be an opportunity to repent at the end of the lesson. But So say you're an Alabama fan. You woke up Tuesday morning hearing how your team won on the, the, the last play of, of, of overtime in this, this remarkable game. And Are you going to get upset as you go back and watch and you see the quarterback get sacked 40 yards behind the goal line with just seconds left? Are you going to be upset at that play going back and watching this? Are you going to despair over the, 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 the misreads that the, the blocks make and so the running back can't advance the ball? Are you going to be upset about that? See, when you know your team will not lose, when you know your team cannot lose, it changes everything about how you respond and how you react to adversity in life. When you already know the outcome, it changes everything doesn't it? It should. It should. You know, Summers Avenue's had a, a, a rough couple of months, several months, of sickness and of death. This has to make a difference in how we see that and experience that. And these early Christians must have seemed like the defeated team to the world. I mean, you, we, we watched your Savior draw His last breath We pulled Him down off the cross and we stuck Him in a tomb. Why are you guys having victory chants, victory marks? They must have seemed like the defeated team. But they could not be stopped because Jesus had not been stopped. But He did stop the domination of the grave. So God raised up Jesus, not just from the grave, This Jesus, Peter says, that God raised up and we are all witnesses of it. So then exalted to the right hand of God and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, He has poured out what you both see and what you hear. Jesus is exalted. And Peter keeps emphasizing what God thinks of Jesus. God affirmed His ministry through miracles and signs and wonders, proved who Jesus is and what He was here for. And God reaffirmed His sinlessness and the full efficiency of His sacrifice on the cross by raising Him from the dead. God proved that this is my plan. And now God confirms His status by seating Christ at the right hand of His throne. And Peter says, this explains it. What you're asking me, this explains what you're asking about. It is Jesus who is pouring out His Spirit in all that you see and all that you hear. And this audience saw the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And and they they said, Jesus, you're a fraud. And they heard His Word that He's the Son of God. And they said, Jesus, you're a liar. And they killed Him. 
And now Peter says, what you're watching and what you're seeing is Jesus doing this because the verdict that you laid at His feet, God has overturned because a higher court has appealed that decision. Chapter 2 and verse 36. Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Nobody makes Jesus Lord because God has already done it. God has appointed Him Lord in Christ. God has declared who Christ is. And suddenly, this Gospel sermon, this good news, has become very bad news to those who are hearing it. And now when they heard this, they were acutely distressed. I don't know, you can't even describe in words what they must have felt. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do, brothers? And all of human history hinges on this answer. What must we do? And what if the answer was nothing. Nothing. You can't do anything because you had your chance. And you blew it. You blew it. Because God doesn't give people like you second chances. So you can spend eternity paying for your sinful choice. Can you imagine? But see, then the very bad news becomes very good news. But what should we do? And Peter said, repent. And each one dies in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children and for all as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And so the best news about the best news is that this is for everyone. All who are far off. Because all are invited. Because see, no one is too far off when the Gospel is unleashed. And this ripple becomes a tsunami that covers the world. And the Gospel reaches past economics. It reaches past race. It reaches past status and region and any other human barrier that we can try to put in front of it. The Gospel reaches past that because you are not too old, nor are you too young or too rich or too illiterate or too educated. No one is too far off. In reaching past all of our bigotry, the Gospel says to each and every person, you are valued. You are important because you matter to God. And if you're thinking today, I can't believe I did that. I just wish I could go back. wish I could go back and undo it. Or maybe you've ever told God a thousand times, Lord, I will never do it again. And yet you do. And you do. And you do. You are not too far off. You are not too far off from the reach of the Gospel. Because the Gospel could reach the very people who killed Jesus. So the Gospel can reach you. And the Gospel can reach me. 
And the Gospel can reach anyone else that you can bring to mind right now. And every single person that you can pass in your day-to-day life. Because God is bringing the entire world together. In Genesis 11, when mankind was being wicked and rebellious, tried to build up this, this tower so that they could reach the heavens, God confused their languages and scattered them. And the result, ever since, mankind has been divided. We've been divided. But here on Pentecost, on this day of Pentecost, God is now bringing people together from different lands and from different languages because we're all going to speak the same language now. We're going to speak the Gospel of Jesus Christ, which is good news. It's good news. In 1917, a man named Cameron Townsend went to Guatemala and was passing out Spanish Bibles. And many people came in contact with him and had no idea who Jesus was. They'd never heard of Jesus, but they began listening to this man and they were receiving these Bibles. And whenever they would ask, he would ask them, they would say, well, you know, there's no Jesus that lives in our village. Have you heard of Jesus? We have no Jesus in our village. Perhaps He lives in the next village. I've not heard of Him. And so one day when Cameron was passing out Bibles, the Catchaquall Indian who lived in this area started talking to, to Townsend Hill here. And, and so Cam was, was talking to this man about God's sovereignty and how God has all the answers to life's questions. And all of those answers can be found in the Bible. God's Word. All Scripture breathed out by God. And the Indian said, if your God is so smart, why can't He speak my language? How many people that we pass every single day? How many people that we have tried to talk to about church and about Jesus and about their sinfulness? How many of them have had the very thought, why can't your God just speak my language? Because how can someone who has never known Christ all of a sudden be expected to know everything about Christ? How do we speak their language? Kim had no answer. But this moment, this encounter would be the most life-defining moment in his life. And in 1934, he founded Camp Wyclef at Sulphur Springs, Arkansas. And through that camp, his activities and actions grew into the Wycliffe Bible Translators. An organization that has carried Scripture in hundreds and thousands of languages throughout the world since that time. See, Cam understood what everyone who received the Gospel understands. Is that Jesus is the language of redemption for every tribe and every color and every tongue and every language. And in Jesus, God is bringing the world back together. So imagine what a first century Christian Imagine being a first century Christian and explaining life in Jesus to someone. And so a neighbor would say, hey, I hear you got religion. That's good. That's good you got religion. Religion is good. Where's your temple? Where do you all have a temple at? Well, we don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. Oh, well, where do your priests work then? 
Well, we don't have priests. Jesus is our priest. He's our temple and our priest. Well, then where, where do you go give your sacrifices and, and, and your praise to your God? Well, we don't because Jesus was our sacrifice. It's like, well, what in the world kind of religion is that? But that's really the point. See, it's not a religion. The Gospel is offering relationship with God through Christ. See, religion offers rules to get right with God, but the Gospel says that no one can do enough. No one can do enough to get right with God. And so the Gospel says Jesus, in fact, can get it right for everyone. And the Gospel says anyone can be right about Jesus. And that's really where Peter was going with this whole sermon. It was leading to one question that the Gospel always leads to. Do you agree? with God about Jesus? Do you agree with who God says Jesus is and and what He has done? And the point of Peter's sermon is that to turn your back on Jesus is to turn your back on God. And many people don't want to hear that today. Sometimes we don't. But see, the Scripture teaches if if, if you're anti-Jesus, You cannot be pro-God because God made it very clear what He thinks about Jesus. And that's why this audience was so cut to the heart and why they were so eager to be baptized. And so those who accepted His message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added. And by the way, in the New Testament, (laughs) nobody argues about whether or not you should be baptized. Isn't that interesting? Nobody argues about whether baptism is essential for salvation. See, all the arguments about baptism we have developed over the years, they understood that repent and be baptized was for the forgiveness of sin to the tune of 3,000 people they understood it. And so once they knew who Jesus was and what God had done, it was like, where's the water? Get me to the water. And chapter after chapter we read of another and of another and of another added to the Lord. And ripples of testimony carrying throughout Jerusalem and Judea and even to the the ends of the earth that this message of Jesus would be proclaimed. You know, there's utter devastation out in California with fire and wind have ravaged parts of the states. They deal with mudslides and all this. But we can know and understand in a physical sense how when wind and fire get together, you cannot contain it. And as we see in Acts, and as our world needs to see from us, when the wind of God's Spirit gets together with a fire in our hearts for the Gospel of Jesus, you cannot contain it. You cannot hold it back. So our question this morning is, do you agree with God about Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit is calling you and wanting to know, what are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You repent and confess your sins to God and He will forgive you in Jesus Christ. And let God grow what He has begun as a ripple of faith in your life and as it becomes a tsunami of witness to the world around you. There are a lot of things, a lot of things that we can be afraid of in this life. 
There are a lot of things that make us fearful. But the one thing that we never have to be afraid of again is death. Death has no hold on us because Jesus defeated death. And because of that, He has unleashed those who would come and put their faith in Him to be His witnesses in the world. We're the ones who put the leash back on. We're the ones who take up the slack in that rope. We're the ones who hunker down and cower down and settle. God did not unleash His Spirit into this world to be settled. He unleashed it to be unsettling. And it should be in us. But see, sin... Sin is what quenches the Spirit when we allow sin to reign in our lives. Doubts and fears. Resentment. Rebellion. All of these things work together to quench God's Spirit. And in doing so, we might as well just put Jesus back in the grave. Because has He died in vain? Has He been resurrected in vain? Look around this world today and I see the Gospel alive. And my question as Sean looks in the mirror is, Sean, is the Gospel alive in you? Is the Gospel alive in your life? Is God's Spirit on fire in you? And that's the same question I would leave for you this morning. Is God's Spirit on fire in you? Where is the Gospel in your life? This morning we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you are ready to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that death may no longer have a hold on you, but you can live eternally with your Lord and Savior and Father in Heaven, we want to rejoice with you this morning. And if it's sin that is holding you back, from being unleashed into this world so that God's Spirit can shine through you to those around you. Then let us pray for you this morning as you repent and ask His forgiveness. If we can help you in any way as we stand and sing this good song, will you come? Hear the sweet voice.